Welcome to Love Your Family Again and Again and Again and Again, the podcast where we focus on parenting with love and clarity. I'm Dr. Marcy, a family culture expert who for over 20 years have been helping parents to create happy and strong families. Today, I am joined by Sarah and Chris, and I am so delighted to have you here. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So I know you have two beautiful boys. Tell us all about your family. Sure. Um, So we have two sons, RJ and CJ. RJ is almost three. CJ is seven months. And we love them. And we have so much fun with them. What what else should I say about our family? We have kind of a big family outside of that. You know, know, yeah, we have a we have a large family, try to be very social and outgoing and introducing them to a lot of other people and situations. You know, Robert was born, you know, in very late 2019. And pretty much, you know, his very early years were during the pandemic. So he might have been limited in the number of people he interacted with that someone born pre 2020 was. But otherwise, you know, being in my first family, it's hard to compare. But I would say yes, a very typical um, experience with both of them. Awesome. So I love that even though RJ was born right before the pandemic. There's still a lot of socialization, it sounds like you're doing. So what is your favorite family outing? Ooh, that's a good question. Like like typical family outing or like something that stands out? <laughs> Either one or okay. both. What would you say? Generally, we, try, we do try to do a lot of, you know, outdoor activities. And I, I think that's something we try to do, not just from, you know, a fresh air perspective, but also from a physical perspective. Yeah. And, you like to be active, moving and, for sure. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely something I want to impress upon him is love of outdoors and nature and being physical and active. And, you know, I felt like that my childhood was like that. I do worry that I should be impressing how important that is to be away from screen. So I, you know, we brought him to some farms and, you know, he likes the aspect of seeing the animals and stuff. I, I feel like those, beach. I feel like, the, oh, he loves the beach and the sand. Yeah, and he's definitely a very – he is a very physical kid also. He, like, needs to move. He needs to be active. So I think, to, to Chris's point, we like to be active and be outside. I, I think that. from the parenting experience, too, it makes it a little easier around yeah. bedtime, too. If, yeah. he, if he's, he's got able his to energy run out. out and get a lot of that energy out. Yes, the fact that you know that yeah. and therefore can plan that in your day, I feel like is going to take you far, especially once he's in school. I can picture you guys being the family that wakes up early, goes to the playground before school <laughs> so then he can sit in when he has to sit in his classroom. Yes. Right? Yes. At, at almost three, he's not quite there yet. Right. Not yet. But I mean, it's hard to get him out the door sometimes. But but when, when we're there, yes. <laughs> yeah. Him being a physical kid can sometimes create challenges. A little bit. So do a we want to chat about any of those? <laughs> um, he was born right before the pandemic started that three, four month age where you're really, he's, you know, starting to interact more with other people. Normally, you know, we kept it kind of a tighter bubble. And even as he got a little older, it was kind of just interacting with cousins. And um, so it's, it's, it's hard to parse where that kind of early experience might've affected. RJ is a very, he's a very physical kid. He also started crawling at before six months. He was walking at nine months. He's always been a very, yes. He's, he's a kid always, on the move. Yes. He's always been a physical kid. I think what Chris is starting to talk about is early signs of some of the challenges we've had with RJ's physicality is the way he has shown his 
excitement or his uh, frustration or, right, like he, he shows it in physical ways. I mean, I'm trying to get him to like squeeze my hands or squeeze something, but like it comes out in like a pinch or a kick or a push or a, like a very physical way. So I think there's that. But like lately where I think we're struggling most is two things. One, he's an adventurous kid in some ways. In other ways, he's a, he's a very cautious kid. He like thinks it's funny to run away. For example, we were just on a vacation in a very public place. And he thinks it's funny to like run in crowded places and doesn't realize that that's dangerous and scary. The adventurousness that he thinks is entertaining when it's actually dangerous can be really hard and scary. Yes. Um, I also hear the kind of the emotional regulation in his physicality that we'll go back to as well. Part of it is it is funny, probably because he really <laughs> frustrates you, right? Yeah. When he's running away and you're in public and you know it's dangerous and scary, like every other parent, you start to freak out. And our kids are yep. entertained when we freak out. Now, yep. that's not right. That's not okay. And they should know better. But the truth is, adults get animated in a very particular way <laughs> when we are upset that we don't any other way. And so kids think that's funny or just the fact that they have now are in control of what's happening, right? So much, right. especially when we're on vacation, so much of what happens is we're telling our kids where to go and what to do and how to do it and when to wait and when to go and stop and do and da, 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 that all of a sudden RJ's just like, ha ha, I'm in charge. And it's amusing. So there are a couple things to do about that. One is if you know your child has the tendency to do that, just make a plan to hold their hand. Be like, mm -hmm. I am going to hold your hand through this whole thing. Now, what I wonder is if he's also one of those kids, which many of the kids that run away are, who don't like to have their hand held. They're like, right. I want my freedom. And when I have it, I will run far and wide. Remember that time where he, we were in our driveway and he ran across the street? So I think there's kind of two parts of, it, of the running away. I don't think all the situations are the same. Some of it is action provoking uh, on our parts where he's, he wants or a response he's trying to provoke. Um, and I think some of it is kind of impulse control where he's trying to go out the front door because he wants to be outside or he sees a truck or something. That's you know. actually a very good example. I believe he knows he shouldn't open the front door and go outside. I don't think he knows why necessarily, but he mm -hmm. knows that I'm going to say, you can't go outside by yourself. You can't, right? Like in that situation, like he likes to go outside because he either saw something that he wants to do or he just wants to go outside. And the answer might not be no, he needs to put his shoes on or something like that. I think it's a re he, he likes the reaction too. I think in the times running away, there's really, there's the times that it, it is an impulse control where he's not thinking what our reaction is going to be, where he's chasing something or sees something or where he's, he's heading towards a specific destination. Yeah. And I think there's other times where it is trying to provoke a response from us where he's running away. I think, I think it could be both even at the same time. Do you agree? I think it can be either. It can be both. both. And the, the challenge in parenting is that in the moment that it's happening, yeah. you don't have the time and space right. to analyze what's going on. In hindsight, you might be able to surmise it. But yeah. in the moment, there needs to be a plan of, well, what do we do regardless yeah. of why? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the impulse control piece, just to potentially give some framework for that, I think there's a huge difference for kids, especially kids RJ's age, between cognitive knowledge and applied knowledge. Yes. So he knows I shouldn't open the front door and run outside. Right. But in the moment that something cool is happening on the other side of that door, that knowledge that he knows 
kind of like disappears. And he's just like, this is what I'm doing with my body. The applied piece is I'm going to open the door because I see a cool truck and I want to be near that truck. So the things he knows he doesn't know how to apply. And for a lot of kids that are really physical, there is this huge disconnect between what I know and what I do. And, And when that's the case, it's less about having the teaching cognitive conversation and more about teaching him in action what to do so that he can satisfy those impulses and be safe. Mm. Right. So which will also go along in those moments that he's looking for the reaction. Cause if we think, how do I teach him to stay safe, stay with me and hold my hand or stay in the house, it's going to be the same thing as how do I help him control his impulses? Lately I have been saying to him, mommy's number one job is to keep you safe. So when I tell you, you can't, when I say you can't do that, it's because I want to keep you safe. And so now I have started to say, like in, in a, when we've calmed down in a moment of like him trying to do something, what's mommy's job? And he'll say to me to keep me safe. I don't know if he like actually knows what that means. Probably not. Right. But I just feel like, I don't know, I, I, maybe it helps me like ground myself in like, what am I actually trying to do? It reminds you, which is yeah. awesome. And at some point, he will understand those words. And it is a beautiful framework because whether he's three or eight or 13 or 18, your job is going to be to keep him safe. And so creating that as kind of like a mantra of your family, our job is to keep our kids safe. Our job is to keep our kids safe will help you make really good decisions in your parenting. The other thing I would encourage you to do is in the moments that he really wants to be running away or opening the door to think, what is it that you want to see him do and then encourage him to do it? Because I I want you to start having him practice doing that thing while he feels excited, while he feels interested in going to see the truck driving down the street, while he's out in public and wants to run a mile away from you. What's the thing you want to see him do? And can you give him a very clear action-based direction to get him to do that and then celebrate that so that he gets, oh, this is what I should do as opposed to the other side? Because whether it's an impulse control piece or it's a reaction piece, that strategy of getting him to do the thing allows Mm -hmm. him to practice it and then celebrating him will kind of solidify the, oh, this is what I should do. This is a good thing. Let me repeat it next time but he's got to feel it in his body. So like in the moment of the front door. Yes. I know we try to kind of say, Hey, you know, pal, you can't just run out the door. You have to tell someone where you're going. You know, I, I I think we kind of lay that, um, you know, idea into it, but I don't, I don't know if we really, what you were saying, celebrate. I I think that's a point we've been missing or start with our corrective actions. Right. Right. I, you know, it's kind of like, don't We're do. starting with the, oh, this is what you didn't do instead of kind of, so, at, at least that's been my approach when right. he's done that. So, so, but, so for example, in that, in that example, mm-hmm. he's, he's opened the door, right? Or like I'm in the kitchen, which I can see, I can see the front door or I can hear the front door open and he's opened the door. And in that 10 seconds, I like freak out because yeah. he's going out the door. I don't know where he's going. Instead, I should say what? You say, Wait. RJ, say, mommy, I want to go outside so that you're literally giving him the words to say. So even though the door's open and he's halfway down, 
down the front yard. He said he can go, mommy, I want to go outside. Oh, okay, cool. Let's put on our shoes. Hopefully, right? Like fingers and toes crossed. If you say, I want to put on my shoes, he goes, oh, I want to put on my shoes. And he walks back over slash into the house and puts on his shoes. And then you go out together. Here's a question for you. Yeah. To, because in some ways he'll do it. In other situations, he'll be like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm outside. Like he, he doesn't care about the shoes or like, no, I'm going down the steps or no, you know, like, no. Yes. So <laughs> the, the truth is it won't work every time. Right. Right. Parenting is not a I'm going to get the ball in the hole every single time. Like it is not (laughs) it is not 100 percent accuracy because our kids are human and because we're human. So the more you practice giving him the right words, the right action, the thing you want to see, the thing that keeps him safe, the more he'll realize that what you're saying is the way to get what he wants. Right. We're not saying no. We're just saying, put your shoes on. Right. Or ask me or whatever. And part of right now, why when you say, put your shoes on, he says, no, I'm going down the stairs. Because historically, my guess is about half the time when he has to put his shoes on, he doesn't end up getting to do the thing he really wanted to do. So it becomes a no. So he's used to this negotiation with you. So we want to take away the no and we want to start giving him the yes in a way that is safe, in a way that works. Which also means if he goes to open the door and he can't go out right now because you're about to go upstairs for bath time, Mm. when he opens the door and you say, mommy, I want to go outside, and he says it, you say, cool, tomorrow morning, we're going to play outside. It's going to be awesome right now. It's bath time with a party. You and me, let's go. So that it's not the like, no, we can't go outside. It's time for a bath. We have our to-do list. Let's go, which is what most parenting energy is because at the end of a full day of work, that's where you are. But the more that's your response, the more he's going to push back and go do what he wants to do. Makes sense. Yeah. So we have to tell him what to do. And then once he's outside, you know that yelling energy we talked about when you get freaked out because you're worried that your child is doing something scary? Mm -hmm. I want you to take that type of response where you get big and loud and animated, your eyes get really big and your facial expression gets weird. I want you to do that with positive words. Oh my God, RJ, I can't believe that you just went outside after asking me. You're amazing and I love it and that's great. (laughs) In this weird way, because then he'll be like, whoa, what just happened? That was so (laughs) weird because adults look weird when we yell. So if he is looking for that positive, if if he's looking for that angry reaction, we want to give it to him for doing the positive, which I tend to call positive yelling because kids think it's hysterical and weird and confusing and they want to know how to get you to do it again. Right. They get you to do it again by doing other good things. You feel a little weird doing it, but it gets him to listen. And especially if you are in public and he's running and stops, then you positively yell, which also gets everyone in that public space really confused. (laughs) So you got to be willing to do that. But it gets him to get a response from you and to get engaged with you in a way that he's looking for in that moment. Right. I think those are, for me, the hardest to like stop and not react like it's I mean it it like literally scares me Mm -hmm. and I've heard people say to me like oh like he just needs to be scared but he won't be scared like meaning like 
something has to happen where like he can't find you. I'm like, I don't want him to like not find, I don't want that to happen. Mm-mm. Right. I disagree. Yeah. I, I mean, conceptually, I get it. Yeah. But the risk of what that means you have to let your child do yeah. is unacceptable to me. Right. They're going to learn to not touch the hot stove by burning the living daylights out of their hand. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. We don't need to have, we don't need the negative experience in order to learn the positive behavior. Right. Right. And we haven't talked a much as much about the running away. So let, let's do that for a moment of when he is running away, when you're in a public space and you know that's his tendency, mm-hmm. then it becomes a teaching opportunity as opposed to a corrective. Right now it's a corrective. Like he wants to run. You let him walk next to you without holding his hand. He runs and then you have to fix the problem. Right. But if you go somewhere and you know that it might be the kind of place he runs – Hold his hand in the beginning and say, this is a new place. So we have to we have to hold each other's hands so we know how fast to walk, where we're going. So we're going to hold our hands from here to that building, to that tree, to that stop sign so that he knows how long he has to hold your hand. And when you get there, you're going to say, okay, RJ, I know that you really want to walk by yourself. I need you to walk next to me until we get to that tree, until we get to that break in the sidewalk, until we get to that building. And when he shows you that he can walk right next to you at a good pace, then you say, okay, cool. Now you can just walk with me. But he's less likely to run away if you go through that type of teaching process, just like you probably did in a parking lot at some point. Right. And is that something that you do, you do that multiple times until it's not a thing anymore? Exactly. And every time you get to a new place, you redo it. Right. If he runs away, then it's up. You know what? Because you ran away, we have to hold hands because I need to make sure that we're safe and that we're together. So for the next half hour, we have to hold hands while we walk around. That's just how it is to keep us safe. Right? It's sort of like you ride a bike with training wheels and we take off the training wheels when we're ready to ride by ourselves. We Mm -hmm. hold a parent's hand until we are ready to walk by ourselves safely. It's not a punishment. It's not a, you did, you ran away, so now you have to. It's just like, this is how we make sure we're safe. And when you show me that you can walk with me without pulling, without complaining, without falling, and we can walk nicely together, then you can walk next to me nicely. Then you can walk a little further away. Right. But it's this teaching experience, just like everything else. Scaffolded. Yeah, exactly. Look at those education words coming out. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. It's a little more attention and energy every time you get somewhere to make sure it happens. But on the back end, it saves you so much in anxiety and frustration and fright and fighting. So it helps. So are there other ways that he's physical that you want to talk about? Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's so much that we've managed through as that he, you know, he, he's, he's going through phases for two to three months. Like there was a period where he was starting to meet kids and he would keep hugging them and he was like a very intense hug. It's it's hard to balance, to to balance whether it's an intense hug or he's 25% larger than all these kids. So, and Balance, yeah. so he he's is giving these big. hugs and sure. he'd fall down with them and he, you know, he'd pull them down with them. Well, I was gonna say, but it was very clear for certain situations where he was hugging to Maybe the point of pulling down. Well, yes. and that's the kind of hug he wants, 
Yeah. And so he doesn't get that not everybody else wants a really big, intense right. wrestle style hug. He right. was just doing what he wants. On top of that, we were also very reactionary when it was when it first started. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree there because you know we were conscientious of the fact he was so much bigger, bigger and worried about yeah. him hurting on someone or hurting, and yeah, and you know we had just moved to a new area too, so we didn't right. want. You know, get a reputation around other parents of our kid bullying and knocking kids down. Um, you know, but and and then you know, he, you know, kind of his his um, let's say outlets for you know physicality kind of change. You know, um, when he was older, and then you know our our younger son CJ was born. There was a period where um, where like ninety five percent of his interactions would be positive with CJ, and then. That one in twenty time he would you know he would kick him or he would try and pull his legs or he, he was not yeah. so much sleeping all the time or uh, us holding him so maybe it, it was a more physical or more visual reminder that the attention was being divided right. um, so you know that that was a phase for kind of like three months the physical stuff to me now I I think Chris to Chris's point he's like moving he's he's moving and changing in his physicality and I think right now. The challenges that we're facing are the typical three-year-old who wants to be super independent, do everything by himself um, in in all aspects. So like dinner time sometimes is like mayhem. Like it's like he wants to run the show. He it's 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 a lot of no's from him before you even say anything, you know. And, and like I don't know how you're gonna I don't know what you're gonna think when I say purposely pour the entire cereal bowl the cereal container onto the floor, you know, like. So when you say purposefully. Right. Yes. What do you mean? How do you know it's on purpose? What is, what does that look like as opposed to an accident? He, he like, cause it's not him missing the bowl. It's him taking the cereal, looking at me, smirking and pouring the whole thing over. That's different he than an accident. But I, I think that that happens at a point when he's already frustrated. And uh, I, it, I don't know. I think he. I think in some maybe sometimes, but sometimes I think he thinks it's funny. Sometimes it like there's a lot of different reasons why I think he does it on purpose. But he nine times out of ten, I think, does it on purpose. And how often is he doing something to that degree? I think it comes in waves. I think maybe and maybe yes. I think there are certain things that certainly trigger me in a way that I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so frustrating. Um, but I think it comes in waves of how often it's happening. And I think we're in one of those waves where like meal times are really challenging or, um, transitions or certain or, or, or transitions are very challenging or, you know, like that sort of thing. Yeah. So a couple of things to chat about here. The first thing I'm going to talk about is the parent bias because I love how you how the two of you just had like a really honest transparent moment about that of yeah, parent bias is real and sometimes the moments that are hard are the moments that we see and the moments yeah. that we remember and the moments that we replay and having a partner that can kindly and compassionately remind you of that and point that out like this felt very loving and caring and making sure that everyone in the family is seen and heard. So I love that. And like owning that, like, yeah, I remember that more than others. And so being a parent means that you're not going to keep like, you know, the data that I keep on behavior sometimes. But at the end of the day, stopping and reflecting and saying, wait, 
did he do one of those moments today for real? And actually like stopping yourself and thinking through, did something happen today or not? As opposed to like, of course it happened because it always happens, allows you to to check into that reality because we all we all have it. And we don't want to be seeing our kids for worse than they are. But sometimes we do when we get stuck. So that's the first thing. The second big thing is this balance between encouraging your kids to be independent and teaching them that they're not as independent as they think they are yet. And it's a tricky balance. And so, yeah, I love that when CJ would come to you that you were just like, no, not CJ, RJ, I'm already mixing up your kids, that when RJ would come to you that you were like, no, try to open it yourself, try to do it yourself, because that is how they learn. That is how they learn frustration tolerance and practice. I mean, if we think about how many times we have to do a skill before we have it well, they have to practice and they're going to get frustrated. And so you creating those opportunities is beautiful. The flip side is when you have a child who wants to be really independent the way RJ is, in those moments, it's also about creating clarity of you're three, I'm 30, therefore I'm the one who's going to do that. And so for those moments, I really like to talk about grown-up options or grown-up tasks or grown-up jobs versus kid jobs. And we're going to talk about, you know, how RJ sometimes oversteps kid jobs. But when there's something that RJ wants to do that you are like, no, right? Cutting something with a sharp knife. Nope, that's a grown-up job. And just so that there's a language that becomes a shorthand for you to do in those moments. The other thing that can be really helpful for kids that really want to be independent is to narrate who's going to do what so that before it becomes a story in his head that I get to do all of it, you say, mommy's going to do this and daddy's going to do this and RJ's going to do this and then RJ's going to do that and then daddy's going to do that and then RJ does this and then mommy does that. And so as you're unfolding your dinner planning and your dinner prep, you're naming what's happening. It's not a conversation. You're not asking for opinions or what RJ wants to do necessarily. You're just assigning and saying out loud so that the external reality can hopefully match the internal reality. I want to check in on how all that lands, and then we're going to talk about the purposeful accidents. Yes, I think so. I, I, I like the narrating part, especially because I think that I almost think that that's even helpful for me as much as it's helpful for him, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, now I think I like, I like that. Yeah. Um, I do that sometimes, but not, I don't think I do it to that degree. I also, I also agree. It's also a great way to teach executive functioning, which you're not yeah. quite thinking about that yet, but if you're in the habit of saying what's happening, then it will just automatically be there for when, when the boys are big enough that you want them to learn that. So let's talk about this purposeful accident, which seems like the right term for that. I love that you know why it's on purpose, right? Because some sometimes we're not clear on that. We're like, well, because of course he knew better. Well, no, kids don't always. But the fact that he looks at you and there's a particular facial expression and then the thing happens, you're like, oh yeah, you knew you knew you were doing it, and you knew you shouldn't be. There, he has a he has a look that happens in in various situations where he's like, 
I'm going to wait for someone to say, tell me something, you know, like, like taking a toy from somebody or pouring the cereal or right. Like it's, it's, it is very clear, I think. Okay. Yeah. That, awesome. That so blood boil when he does that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a game of chicken. And I, I don't want to lose it, but I also don't want him to do the behavior that he knows he's not supposed to be doing. In those moments that you can see it's going to happen. If you cannot use words, but use your own actions in order to stop it, that might be the best way, right? As in, if he's sitting at the table, has a giant box of cereal in front of him, and you can see in his face, the whole thing's about to go on the floor. Rather than talking to him, (laughs) I would, without making eye contact, walk as calmly yet quickly over to him and take the box. And whether that means you then pour a little bit of cereal and you say, you know, once you eat that, you can pour yourself more. If that means you put the box away, right? Those are variables that you get to decide in the moment based on what's going on, but you want to change it. If it's something where you're like, I'm going to get out you the bowl and cereal and then you're going to pour it and you see that look, I might also just kind of like keep your hands nearby so that you can very quickly, once he pours a little bit, stop the box without actually having a conversation, almost like if you were hand over hand prompting a kid to draw a circle. Can you hand over hand with like an inch away the pouring of the cereal? Yep, yep. When he goes, I want to do it myself! Because you know that's coming. You say, cool, You, you show me that you can pour a little by yourself and put the box down, and then you can do the second little bit completely by yourself, right? It's a teaching opportunity if you can get there before there is a purposeful accident so that he gets, I know your number and you know your number, but we're not going to talk about it. And I'm not going to tell you no, because you like that part of the game. I'm going to take this as a moment to teach you how to do this well in the way you would teach any other skill. Let's say it does. Let's say we don't catch it, right? Like we don't see it happening. Mm -hmm. He thinks we're watching. We're not whatever. What examples of those type of behaviors do we ignore? Meaning he wants the big reaction, right? Like what do we, what do we ignore and just kind of like move on from and what, you know what I mean? I think there is always, and I say always in the, as long as life allows it natural Mm -hmm. consequence. So if you dump the entire box of cereal on the floor, then you have to pick up the entire box of cereal into a garbage bag. If you, pour an entire jug of milk on the floor, you then use an entire roll of, of paper towels to clean it up. As the parent, you are then going to have to vacuum or you're then going to have to mop. You're going to have to do the cleaning up afterwards. But the rectifying the situation that was created by this experience is the consequence because it's not fun. And when you are in that moment, having it not be fun. So you're not talking a lot. You're giving you know one or two very short directions of pick up the cereal pick up the cereal, pick up the cereal. Now it's hard when your blood is boiling and you're like, we had 17 other things we're supposed to be doing right now. I can't believe I'm going to sit here and pick up the cereal. Then you need to, in the back of your head, go, this is how we teach him that this is not a fun game. Because my guess is that because life is so busy, he does this. And then you're like, fine, just go. I'll deal with it. So he doesn't have to deal with the consequence. You know, if he takes all of his clothes out of his draw then he's got to put all of his clothes back in his draw. Now, I know that that means you then have to take it out, refold it, and put it back in. 
So it creates more work for you, but he needs to feel the impact of how to clean up after he does these things. Does that make sense? Seem possible? Yeah. I was saying to Chris before, I feel like my reaction to his meltdowns are calming for him in in certain ways. Um, I think where I struggle is what you just said. I will try to get him to clean up the cereal. And when it just takes too long and we have something else to do, I clean up the cereal. So part of it is thinking about short-term versus long-term gains. Do you want today to be easy or today do you want to get to school on time or, you know, whatever the things are that you clean up the cereal for, or do you want in the long run him to understand that he can't pour all the cereal on the floor? And that is not, there, there is no right answer to that. It is very much a moment by moment, situation by situation. You have to ask yourself that question and say, in this moment, do I want to teach him to not do this intentional accident? Or are the things on today's schedule more important and we got to get it done because he's got to get to school and I got to get to work? And you may make a different decision every single day. Well, there are only two. So you're going to pick one or the other. But it might change, but it is the be willing to mess up the short-term experience, a.k.a. be late for school, miss the play date, whatever it is, for the long-term teaching some of the time. Because if you never make that choice, he won't get this lesson. And while there is a possibility that he'll just outgrow it, what I see more is that kids learn bigger and other ways to do this type of thing. And it's not about our kids always being happy. He's not going to like it. If RJ has to clean this up, he's going to be frustrated and upset and cranky and he's going to complain through it. And that is hard as a parent to sit and watch but it is okay for him to be upset while he's learning a really important lesson. Don't take that away from him to make everything always be comfortable because that's why he thinks it's funny to, you know, pour the cereal all over the floor because he doesn't have to deal with the uncomfortable reality that comes on the other side of it. There's more cereal in his cabinet. There's a grown-up who's going to clean it up. It's not that if I pour out the cereal, I don't have cereal for the week. So there has that natural consequence in some ways you have to create. And that's part of really good parenting is letting them be uncomfortable. If there was one tool, one strategy, one thing we talked about that you are going to make sure you go put in place, what would it be? Take my, oh my God, don't do that. And turn it into an absurd, exaggerated celebration. Yes. Some positive yelling. I love (laughs) it. And Chris, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd, I'd go with the uh, same response there. I love it. You guys must be married or something. Huh, look at that. that. <laughs> Amazing. Sarah and Chris, thank you so much for coming and chatting about your kids and being open and honest about your parenting. I am so grateful that you were thank here. You. Thank you for having us. Of yeah. course. Of course. I am. Um, this was great. So thank you. And thank you, listener. I know your time is precious and limited. Grateful that you shared your time with me and Chris and Sarah. So I'm curious, what is your one takeaway action step? Share it with me in the comments on my website, drmarcy.com. Want to be the first to know when new episodes come out? Go to drmarcy.com backslash podcast and sign up for my mailing list. 
want to be a guest on a future episode of Love Your Family again and again and again and again, go to drmarcy.com backslash podcast guest and let me know. And finally, do you need individualized help with your family? Do you want to have a private session with me or someone from my team virtually or in your home? Then visit drmarcy.com backslash contact and reach out. Remember, blue skies are ahead and we're going to get there together.